0: There is a very fine line between a grand entrance and sneaking in the back door. (laughs) I'm not sure what I have just done, but uh, I will tell you this, it is great to be here this morning. It is great to be back here this morning, worshiping with you all, Um, all the cards and calls and texts and letters, letters that I've received Especially all the prayers. Um, I love my church family. And uh, I love to be worshiping again today with my church family. Thank you for that. Um, I told Tom, I'm not sure that I can stand. I, mean, I can preach. I'm not sure I can stand for 30 minutes. And he said, You don't have to, 15's fine. <laughs> then I said, No, I'll put a stool here. I can sit and talk for a long time. So, you know, it's biblical too, by the way. In the first century, they sat down to teach. So it's, it's very biblical. Um, Mike mentioned that it's Mother's Day today. I want to verify Mike was not a perfect child. That is true, by the way. But we do want to honor our mothers today. Um, my sermon today is not a Mother's Day sermon. But we do want to honor our mothers today. And I'm not going to ask you to stand. But if you're a mother, just raise your hand a little bit. Just kind of raise your hand. If you're sitting beside someone who's raised their hand, turn to them and say, I love you. <laughs> we love our moms. If, if you belong to that mother, go ahead and give her a hug. But um, This morning when you leave, for all our mothers, we have a gift that we want you to have. Uh, don't get too excited, but um, the teenagers are going to be at the doors. On your way out... Aloha Humphrey was kind of the one behind this. Um, we have some pens you know, to write with that have some kind of inspirational mother sayings on them. So be, picked, be sure and pick one of those up on the way out the door this morning. And remember when you're digging through your purse to give it to us men when we need something to write with uh, how much we love uh, our mothers. So you, you probably remember the, the story from the days of the Civil War There was a uh, fort in the Western uh, Territory and the commander of the fort got wind that the enemy might be advancing on his position, so he called his best scout and he said, listen, um, I want you to try to verify if there's actually enemy approaching. And the scout got everybody quiet. He laid down on the ground and he put his ear to the ground and he said, "Yep, enemy's on the way, all right. 200 soldiers, heavily armed. There are 30, no, 35 cavalry. They're pulling eight cannons with them. The commander said, "Wow, well, you, you found that all out just by listening to the ground? And he said, no, I'm, I'm looking under the gate. They're, they're right outside. <laughs> we don't like to talk about it very much. And to tell you the truth, we don't like to think about it very much. But intellectually, we all know that we're in a battle, and the enemy is at the gates, and the enemy does not fight fair. Most of you already know, just by looking at the screen up here, and by the old bad joke that I just told, you know exactly where we're headed this morning, right? In fact, some of you are already turning to Ephesians chapter 6, and that's where we're going to be for a while. We're actually starting a new sermon series this morning. Uh, we're going to talk about um, the armor of God. In Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Ephesians, talks about the fact that we are in a battle. We're at war. It is a battle between good and evil, and it is a battle between God and Satan. And we like to remind ourselves, rightfully so, that the war has already been decided. God is going to win. We talk about those promises. We we revel in those promises that God wins. Jesus wins. Jesus is coming back. Satan loses. But even though the war's outcome has already been decided, that doesn't mean that Christians can't still be defeated. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6 that we need to put on the full armor of God. In fact, a couple times in that passage... He's going to say, put on the full armor of God. I want to read through that passage this morning. It's not very long. Uh, It's going to be familiar to you, but I want you to listen carefully. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, here you go, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, Take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Again, that's a passage that we're really familiar with. We've heard a lot of sermons. We've listened to a lot of classes on the, the armor of God. But don't allow your familiarity with that passage to detract from the powerful warning and the powerful message that Paul is trying to deliver here. Again, we're going to spend a couple of weeks talking about this armor of God, but this morning I just want to kind of introduce it to you. I want to kind of set the stage a little bit, give you a bit of an overview, uh, kind of an introduction to what Paul is writing, why he's writing it, and why it's so important for us. Paul is going to talk about what Christians do when the enemy attacks. He's going to brief us, not just how to survive an enemy attack, but actually how to be successful, how to defeat the enemy. Now, so often when we, when we talk about this passage, we miss the most important statement Paul makes. I've sat through a lot of classes, a lot of sermons, have preached on this before, and we miss, we seem to ignore, what I think is the most important thing that Paul says. Look again at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Paul says, listen, you need to be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. And then he goes on to tell us how to do that. And we've heard the saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know, which is a little bit true. Paul is saying, it's not what you can do, it's what God can do, which is very true. In fact, that's kind of a theme of Paul's writing. Back in the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, he talks about His incomparably great power for us who believe. Paul says, God's power is incomparably great. Then a couple chapters later in chapter 3, Paul says, I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Paul is about to warn us about an enemy that is our worst nightmare. And he doesn't begin this morning, he doesn't begin this section by saying, you know what, don't worry, you can handle this. He doesn't begin by saying, I believe in you. Just believe in yourself. That's not where he begins this this section. In fact, what Paul says in the beginning is, you can't do this on your own. You can't do it with your own strength and your own power, you cannot stand against this enemy. Paul is not saying you need to believe in yourself. Paul's saying you need to believe in God. Yeah. You know, one of Satan's greatest deceptions is to try to convince us that he's really not that bad. He wants you to believe that he's really not that evil. That tangling with Satan isn't really that big of a deal. We kind of buy into that. You know, by the jokes that we tell. Um, You know, we teach our kids when they're little, if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. Ouch! You know, we kind of laugh about that. And I get it. I don't want to be that guy. But sitting on attack isn't a very good defense for the evil one. It's going to take more than that. So Paul begins by telling us, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. And then he goes on to say, if you plan to be effective in this battle that you are in, whether you choose it or not, you are in the battle. If you plan to be effective, you're going to have to suit up. You're going to have to prepare yourself. You're going to have to dress for success. I don't know if it's true that clothes make the man. I've always hoped that it isn't. But I do believe that armor saves a soldier. In verse 13, Paul doesn't write, put on the full armor of God just in case the day of evil comes. He doesn't say, put on the full armor of God on the rare occasion that evil will come. If the day of evil comes. We know that's not what he says. He says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes... Paul says the day of evil is coming. And some of you are living in the day of evil right now. It's not a possibility, it is a certainty. The day of evil is coming. Paul said it is critical that you be in uniform. You know, did you ever think to yourself, why is the devil always picking on me? I mean, I'm a Christian. Shouldn't I be exempt from some of this stuff? Why does it seem like Satan is always picking on me? Listen, if you need armor, that's a good sign. It means you're probably in the right place. If you feel like you've kind of been singled out, like I've got this gigantic, satanic bullseye on my back, you're probably in a pretty good place. Because if you're not colliding with Satan you're probably traveling in the same direction. I mean, if you're like, you know, Satan doesn't bother me at all. That's because you're on a bad path, okay? He's not trying to get your attention. He's not trying to divert you. You're headed exactly where he wants you to go. It's those who are on that path that's a little bit straighter and a little bit narrower. You're going to find yourself colliding with Satan. If you're going to make a stand for Jesus, you're going to face opposition. If you're going to witness for Jesus, you're going to face opposition, and you better be dressed for the occasion. I know several in this room have and are serving in the military. By the way, I want to thank Dennis for uh, the lessons that he shared these last couple of weeks. Man, what a blessing. Um, man, when you can bring Tom Brady off the bench, you're, you're in a pretty good place, right? <laughs> and Dennis is probably a better person to be teaching this lesson right now but but i'm up here so you know <laughs> but those of you who have been in the military those of you who are in the military you know that you don't get to choose what you wear right when you go to basic training and you're handed a, a, issued a, a uniform you don't get to decide what part or how much of that uniform you're going to put on you don't show up the first day of basic training with flip-flops and a Hawaiian shirt because that's what we wear in florida you know, your commanding officer expects you, in fact, demands that you wear the uniform that you've been issued. Our commanding officer expects and demands that we wear the uniform that we've been issued. In Ephesians 6, Paul takes nine verses to talk about that uniform. When he writes to his friend Timothy, he does it really in just a few words. He tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul is encouraging Timothy, and I think he's encouraging us as well, to take advantage of all those blessings that have been given to us by the grace of God in Christ Jesus. But not only is he encouraging us to put on what's available He says, you also need to be sure that you use what you choose. You know, unused weapons don't do a soldier a bit of good. You don't win a battle because you got this giant uh, uh, artillery stored somewhere in a bunker far away. You don't win a battle because you've got all this advanced weaponry in some faraway depot somewhere. A soldier wins a battle because when he is in battle, when he's in the middle of it, When he's in the trenches, he has everything he needs at his disposal to be able to take advantage of the enemy that's coming towards him. Not only did you choose it, but you got to use it. And here's kind of an interesting thing about the text in Ephesians chapter 6 all of those things that Paul is talking about, they're all provided by Jesus. It's his gospel, it's his righteousness, it's his truth. Only Jesus can make the armor, but it's up to us to take the armor. Jesus isn't going to force that on anybody. He's not going to force you to get dressed and ready for battle. But He is providing what you need. Notice how the Living Bible, uh, words, chapter, thir- or chapter 6, verse 13. So use every piece of God's armor to resist the enemy whenever he attacks. Use every piece of God's armor to resist the enemy whenever he attacks. And when it's over, you'll still be standing up. Now anytime someone talks about this passage, anytime you sit in a class about this passage, you always hear the, the preacher or the, the teacher say, Have you noticed there's no armor for the backside? And I will say, Have you noticed there's no armor for the backside? <laughs> it's true. Jesus doesn't provide any armor to keep us safe when we turn and run. Why? He doesn't expect us to turn and run. He expects us to stand and fight. He expects us to make a stand. He expects us to resist the devil, to engage the enemy head on. But don't you dare do that unless you're prepared for battle. You know, in the first part of this analogy, Paul references some things that a Roman soldier would put on every single day. When we got out of bed, he'd put on his belt, he'd put on his shoes, he'd, he'd put on his breastplate. He'd always have those on. But there's some other things that he mentions that a soldier would only put on when he was in battle, when he was headed to fight. Things that he would be sure he had with him when the enemy was so close that he could reach out and touch him. And again, we're going to look at these things kind of at length in the next couple of weeks, but... But let me just, again, kind of set the stage. Um, Go back to verse 16 and 17 of Ephesians 6. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Paul instructs us to take up a shield of faith to stop what the enemy is throwing at us. And notice again, Paul does not say, if you put on this armor, the enemy won't shoot at you anymore. That is not what he says. What he says is, if you put on this armor, the enemy's arrows won't do what they're intended to do. If you use this shield of faith, the enemy's arrows won't do what they're intended to do. They they won't affect you like Satan intends for them to affect you. And I guess it goes without saying that a shield won't do a bit of good. Right? We aren't protected because we've got the best shield in the world back in camp. And Paul is going to compare faith to this shield. And of course we know that faith is more than just a belief system. Faith is action. Faith is acting on what we believe, on what we're convicted and convinced about Jesus Christ. And I take you back to the faith chapter in Hebrews chapter 11. The writer says all those men, all those women who are so famous for their faith, they all did something. By faith, Abel offered. By faith, Enoch walked. By faith, Noah built. By faith, Abraham went. By faith, Joshua marched. Faith caused these men and these women to do something. Stella Terrell Mann once said, Whatever God's dream about man may be, it seems certain it won't come true unless man cooperates. Biblical faith is acting upon our convictions of who we believe Jesus to be. See, I don't really know what you believe about Jesus just by listening to you. I really don't. I don't really know what your faith is like. I don't really know what you believe about God just by what you say in a Bible class. But when I watch a person go through a challenge... It reveals where their faith is. I am watching, we are watching some people we love right now go through challenges. And it is revealing their faith, it is proving what they think about God and where their faith is. Now, what is your faith in? Because whatever your faith is in, that's your shield if it's in your IRA or your bank account, if it's in your diploma, your job, your family, your status, it is a poor shield. It will not stop the arrows that the enemy is shooting. Satan is going to constantly appeal to our fears. God is going to constantly appeal to our faith. And when the fighting gets real, we've got to use the shield of faith. And then Paul encourages us to take the helmet of salvation. In Ephesians 6, he talks about take the helmet of salvation. He says basically exactly the same thing in the book of Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 5, But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. He likens the hope of salvation to a helmet. When I was in the 7th grade, I was a member of the Penns Manor Junior High football team. I was excited about that, because where I grew up, it was so rural, you couldn't participate in any organized sports until you got to 7th grade. There was no little league, there was no pee wee football, there was no pop Warner. You couldn't do anything, you know, organized until you got to junior high. And I was excited to play football when I got to junior high. So I come home the first day with my equipment. And my brother Randy, who was so much older and so much bigger than me, said, "Hey, get your helmet and come out to the yard. I'll show you something." You know where this is going, right? So I get my helmet and I put it on and we go out to the side yard and I'm standing in front of Randy all 86 pounds of me and I'm looking up at him because he's like you know, seven years older and he went through his high school career playing football, he was in college he hadn't left for college then there in the fall but I'm looking up at him and he goes I'll give you a hint, I'll give you a little trick on how to get around people okay (laughs) what do I do? Randy hauls off and slaps the side of my head so hard. So hard. You have you, seen those those uh, cartoons where like the cartoon character like in his whole body just elevates and, and, and tremors. That was me. I was like wah, 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 wah. I'm expecting to see my helmet, you know, on the ground with my head still in it, you know. I was so mad. I was so mad at him. You know, of course I could pick myself up with the gun. there's nothing I can do. Because I knew that I I couldn't take a stand against him. I take my helmet off, I throw it at him, march into the house to tell mom. It was the only leverage I had. We all know that a soldier can get killed if he doesn't have his helmet on. But you know what? He can get hurt too. Satan specializes in head slaps. Even if he doesn't kill you, He specializes in trying to knock you back, to knock you down, to ring your bell. Satan wants to get you so distracted that you start to hesitate. He wants to get you so worried about what's coming that that you start to doubt that you could possibly ever be victorious in this life that we're trying to live. That's why you got to choose and use the helmet of salvation. Shield of faith, helm of salvation. And then he's going to mention offensive opportunity. Not just to resist the devil, but to actually take the fight to him. The last thing that he mentions is the sword of the Spirit. sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Someone once said, if you really want Satan to leave you alone, invite him to a Bible study. <laughs> because Satan has no defense against the Word of God. Now, our defense against Satan is, you know, the the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. Satan doesn't have any defense against the Word of God. Think about Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is led into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Do you remember how Jesus answered every temptation? With the Word of God. Three times Jesus quotes the book of Deuteronomy. And Satan leaves him. The Word of God is powerful. But the truth is, us carrying around a Bible, that doesn't scare Satan very much. In fact, being able to memorize some Scripture, Prince of Darkness, that doesn't bother him very much. But, when we start living the Word, he doesn't have a defense for that. When God's word becomes part of who we are, that word that's active and alive, when it becomes active and alive in our lives, Satan has no defense. Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it become part of who you are and the reason for why you do what you do. You know, the old praise song that said, I opened up the Bible and I read about me. Once that word gets personal, and once the word of God gets into our hearts and from our hearts into our actions, Satan has no defense for that. Listen, God doesn't want you to just weather the storm. He wants you to win the battle. He wants you to be living in the pages. Here's God's plan. When Satan comes at you, you go at him. Not in your own strength. Paul warns us about that. But you throw the book at him and the strength that comes from the Lord. We need to trust in the power of God. We need to suit up. We need to use what we choose. And then one more thing that that I want to leave you with this morning is kind of subtle, but I think it's really important. We are in this thing together. You might not have noticed, but all the words that Paul uses in Ephesians 6, they're all plural. He's not writing to one person. He's not writing to a Christian He's writing to Christians. He says, Your battle is my battle. Your struggle is my struggle. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You remember, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Jesus never sent us out as kind of Rambo Christians. We were never intended to be, you know, a, a pack of one. Look at the Gospels. Every time Jesus sent anyone out to do kingdom work, he always sent them out with another soldier with him. Never sent anyone out to do kingdom work all by themselves. Why? Because Satan is really good at picking off individual soldiers. I think the pandemic taught us that. I think the pandemic taught us how dangerous it is to be separated from the platoon and how dangerous it is to be separated from the body we become extremely vulnerable when we're trying to do it alone. So, one final question. Who are you in the trenches with? Who is it that you're helping to fight the good fight? Who's helping you fight the good fight? Who can you turn to when the enemy attacks and who can you say, hey, cover me? Cover me, I need help not a rhetorical question, by the way. I hope some names are coming to mind. I hope you have some people that you're in the trenches with, and they're in the trenches with you. Or or maybe you're thinking, you know, spiritually, I'm kind of on my own. I don't really have a platoon. I feel like I'm fighting all by myself. It is such a lonely place to be. Such a dangerous place place to be is the Lord's church we're meant to be a band of brothers a band of sisters we're meant to strengthen each other to encourage each other support each other one of the greatest blessings God has ever given me is you my family you need the church the church needs you because one day Jesus is coming back and he's coming back for his church in the meantime we got to suit up because there's a battle going on and we're going to spend the next couple weeks talking about what that exactly looks like but I'll end this morning by just one, I said a last question here's your last question are you living as a victim or a victor? even in the middle of a battle Are you living like you're a victim? Or are you living like you're a victor? See, here's the thing. Satan knows what you have. Satan knows what's at your disposal. But he does not want you to know what you have. And he certainly doesn't want you to use what's at your disposal. As soldiers of Christ, we're not just meant to weather the battle. supposed to be winning the war and it's time for us as soldiers of Christ to arise it's time for us to put our armor on to be strong in the strength that God supplies through his beloved son sounds like a song doesn't it we're gonna sing that song right now listen as a church family as your platoon if there's any way that we can help you pray for you anything you need to share with the church family Come to the front and let us know. Let's go ahead and be standing while we sing.